What a game. We will never forget this. Hopefully with joy in our hearts. Nine seconds left. Eagles by eight. Brady lines them up. He's back again. He steps up. He's hit. He stumbles. He is throwing it deep for the end zone. And it is batted around and incomplete. And the game is over. The game is over. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. Let the celebration begin. It's Wednesday, February 14th, 2018, our Valentine's edition of the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Hey, Chet, it's been 10 days, so you may have forgotten. Philadelphia Eagles, Super Bowl 52 champions. Yeah, feels good. Check that, Bill. It feels great. And, you know, we're not quite ready to quit talking about it just yet here on our show. Oh, you know, we, you know, we're still going to talk a lot of Eagles tonight, but lest we forget, today was pitchers and catchers report to spring training day in Clearwater. The Sixers are playing great ball. The Flyers are playing great until last night's loss. And now they have some net, net minder issues that we'll certainly talk about. Yeah, lots to get to with our guests. One of them coming up right away, and then later a conversation with diehard Eagles fan and WMMR Radio's Casey Boy. Yeah, well, let's get to it. We're going to be busy, uh, as you said, two guests tonight. So let's get it rolling. Welcome our first guest back to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, the editor of the Bleeding Green Nation, Brandon Lee Galton. Brandon, welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm going to say it again because it never gets old. The Eagles are Super Bowl champions. <laughs> Love hearing that. Love hearing that. Hey, Brandon, always great to have you on with us. And I want to say you and your guys at Bleeding Green Nation did a terrific job chronicling this amazing Eagles season, and we're really glad that you're able to join us once again to kind of put a bow on this unforgettable year for the Birds and their great fans. Again, awesome job by the BGN crew. Well, thank you, and I'm always glad to be back here. Awesome. Hey, before we get to talking about the season as a whole and what lies ahead, what was the experience like for you being out in frigid Minnesota in the days leading up to the Super Bowl? And then, of course, the game itself in the Dome. Uh, Well, yes, it was was definitely very cold. I think uh, negative 20 was kind of the norm there at one point with the wind chill and everything. It was was freezing. But uh, outside of that, the people were very nice. You know, you hear that Minnesota nice phrase, and even though, you know, you had these Vikings fans who seemed bitter or were bitter about the Eagles losing. That wasn't the majority. I think a lot of people there that I encountered were very nice. Uh, it was definitely an interesting experience being at the Mall of America. It's just so big, and that's where all the, the Eagles media and Patriots media events were. So that was kind of an interesting atmosphere to be there and see players and coaches and Howie Roseman even just walking around the mall. So it was a unique experience. And then obviously being there for the game itself was incredible. It was an amazing atmosphere of just Eagles fans really taking over that stadium and Patriots fans had a good presence too. I mean, when something went their way, you could hear them there, but for the most part, the Eagles fans were the majority in the stands and it was just an awesome night for all of them, obviously with the Eagles actually getting it done and winning the Super Bowl. 
I didn't go back and try to analyze it yet, but where does that Super Bowl game rank among the 52 that have been played so far? Oh, man, it has to be up there because it was just an offensive explosion. There were no dull moments in that game. Sometimes you go through a game where there's kind of a lull, there's no scoring, there's no real action, there's a lot of punting. I mean, there was only one punt in this entire game. There were turnovers, there was good coaching, there were trick plays. Like, this game just had everything. So I I think it would have to be in the top five at least. Like, it it was such an entertaining game. Just the story of this Eagles team overcoming these injuries and having their backup in the Super Bowl against this Tom Brady Patriots team that had been there many times before, and they just came back from that incredible comeback last year in what was one of the most incredible Super Bowls we've seen with the first overtime and everything. So it has to be right up there. It was just an amazing game. Well, Brandon – you know, last year, Doug Peterson's first year, he kind of uh, at times when he went for it on fourth down, he became the village idiot. Uh, this year, it all worked out. Doug was super aggressive, uh, you know, through most of the season, obviously in the Super Bowl. Uh, surprise you, Annie? Uh, did not. And I think that's what's awesome about this team is that they didn't change their identity at any point. Doug kind of even set the tone in the week leading up before the Super Bowl, when they were still practicing in Philadelphia, he had said that, look, if I make this about the Patriots, then we're in trouble. And he was right when he said that. He wasn't, uh, you know, they they respect their opponents, but they don't fear them. And Doug Peterson played with no fear in the Super Bowl, going for it and fourth down on numerous plays and just really just putting his foot to the pedal the whole game long. And that really paid off. I mean, you don't beat the Patriots – uh, by playing it safe and being conservative. I mean, he went all out, and it really paid off. And I think that's a great thing about Doug Peterson that we saw, not just in that game, but throughout the season, like you said. All right, we've got to get to Nick Foles. We know how great Nick played down the stretch. He was the Super Bowl MVP, had this terrific postseason. But we also know that the quarterback job is Carson Wentz's. So what happens with Foles now? He's under contract for another year, but might they listen to trade offers for him? And if so, how much would it take for them to pull the trigger? Yeah, well, the first thing I think, you know, you have to think about here is that Nick Foles is the first quarterback in Eagles history to win the Super Bowl for Philadelphia. So whatever happens here kind of has to come uh, with his approval, if he wants to stay in Philadelphia, then, you know, they he, he gets to stay in Philadelphia. I think the Eagles kind of need to rework his contract at that point because he only has this season left on his deal. They might have to sign him to an extension, try to lower that cap number this year. But if not, and if he wants to play somewhere else because he wants to start and he wants to earn a chance at an extension, and I think that any team that trades for him would give him that and there's money to be made. I mean, you saw Mike Glennon last year get almost $20 million guaranteed, and I think Nick Foles could get at least that, especially coming off of this Super Bowl MVP run that he had. So I think there's going to be a market out there for Nick Foles. I think the Eagles are going to get offers for him. Uh, it's a, an interesting situation because the Eagles, obviously, they, they want to play it careful. They want to play it safe with Carson Wentz returning. All indications are that he will be ready for week one, but you know, it's still seven months out. We don't know for sure. At the same time, I think they like Nate Sudfeld a lot. I think people kind of underrate that. They, You know, this is a guy that the Colts tried to sign away, and they kept him. They promoted him to the active roster in order for the Colts to not be able to steal him away. So they like Nate Sudfeld. And I think you look at the position the Eagles are in, 
they they like Nick Foles a lot, but at the same time, they don't have any day two draft picks, and they need cap space like crazy. They're currently nine million over the cap, and trading Nick Foles saves you five point two million. So I think the move, you know, if you get a strong offer, is to trade Nick Foles. You save the cap space, you get the draft picks, and you go from there. So if someone offers you a mid-first round pick, you take it? Oh, in a heartbeat. You have to, I think. Okay. Interesting. Hey, Brandon, defense. Um, both of them forgot to show up on Super Bowl Sunday. Was It, uh, it, it was like the, they couldn't even make any adjustments because they couldn't figure it out. It, you know, were the offenses that good or the defenses just had no answers? Well, I think you look at the Patriots' defense, and all year long they they weren't a great defense. They were they were good in terms of they were bending but not breaking. They were good in the red zone, and but it wasn't a surprise that to see the Eagles could really move the ball on them because they they ranked around last or at least close to last in yardage allowed. On the other side, you know, I think if you're the Eagles, then you know, I know you're going up against Tom Brady. I know you're going up against Josh McDaniels and Belichick. This is a well-coached team. There's talent on this team. Tom Brady is the best quarterback ever. At the same time, it just feels like it wasn't the best game from Jim Schwartz in that unit because you felt like, you know, this is a defense that's played really well at times and just it wasn't their A game. Now, with that being said, I mean, they obviously made a key play to seal the game there with Brandon Graham stripping Tom Brady, which is just an awesome moment in the stadium. I mean, you could just feel the air get sucked out of the stadium at that moment. Everyone was just in shock. The whole Eagles sideline was going nuts. Uh, It was a unique situation because they, you know, it's like the Eagles virtually won at that point, but, you know, it's not over until it's over. So I think uh, the defense as, as a whole, you know, they did not play as well as you would have hoped, but they did enough to get the job done, and I think that's where it stands. Hey, Brandon, I saw your piece on Tuesday. It sounded like uh, you weren't thrilled about Mike Pereira saying the Eagles were in an illegal formation on that Philly special play. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's so ridiculous. I mean, first of all, Alshon Jeffrey, clearly he, you can see it yourselves. I mean, he told reporters that he checked with the side judge there to make sure he was his positioning was good. And from what I saw, he checked with the side judge at least three times there and I mean, at that point, if the side judge says he's fine, then he's fine, and they, have, you know, there's no illegal formation. I think that's that's totally ridiculous, especially to come out like over ten days or so after the Super Bowl is over. I mean, give me a break. The Eagles won fair and square. They outplayed the Patriots, and that's the bottom line. Well, Brandon, we're about 10 days out from the Super Bowl. The hangover is about worn off. It's time to start thinking about roster decisions moving forward. Do you see any kind of no-brainers to get, I guess, what we're nine-point-something over the cap at this point? Do you see anything, uh, big players that are going to have to move? Yeah, I mean, Torrey Smith, you have to start with him. Obviously, out of all the Eagles starters this year, I mean, a lot of the starters had great years, but Torrey Smith didn't for the most part. I mean, they brought him in, and he kind of gave them uh, a role player's contribution, which is just what they needed out of him, which is fine. But he's due $5 million this year, and you can, the Eagles can cut him for a total saving of that $5 million with zero and dead money. So, I mean, that seems like a no-brainer unless he's willing to kind of come back at some kind of minimum or, or very low number, then maybe you can work something out. But I think getting rid of Torrey Smith 
makes a lot of sense. As I said earlier, trading foals would help a lot with the cap. We'll see how that goes. Um, there's going to be some interesting decisions to make. I mean, you're not going to be able to keep all of these guys like Trey Burton or Bo Allen or or even Nigel Bradham is going to be a free agent. It's going to be interesting to see what his market is like. So the Eagles don't have a lot of money. They're going to have to make some tough decisions here. Uh, it should be interesting to see where they value or who they value and, and what they do here in the offseason. Well, you mentioned Bradham. He was somebody I was going to ask you about, so I'll go ahead and do that. Uh, I thought he had a heck of a season for the Eagles. And, and, you know, where does he fit and how much money can you pay him? Or do you just kind of wait and see what the market bears and see if he's willing to come back for, you know, just a little bit? Yeah, that's, it's such a – it's a really interesting situation because clearly he's a valuable member on this defense. I mean, he played the most snaps of any linebacker in the past two seasons. Like the Eagles really count on him. He's versatile. You know, he plays the strong side, but when Jordan Hicks went down, he came in and he was able to play the middle as well. So, and, and he doesn't get hurt. He's only missed seven games in his six-year career to this point. So he's durable. Um, he turns 29, I believe, in this season. So, you know, that's something I think that kind of could drive his value down because I don't know if a, a ton of teams are going to be wanting to sign a 29-year-old linebacker to a big deal and they know they're going to have to be paying him into his 30s. So, that might be working in the Eagles' favor there. And maybe Nigel Bradham just really likes it here. He really realizes that his best years have come under Jim Schwartz and the Eagles and him can kind of work something out before free agency. I mean, that would be the ideal situation. But if you're Nigel Bradham, I mean, you're probably thinking, okay, let me get to free agency. Let me test the market, see how much money I can get, because maybe there is that one team out there. All it takes is one team to give him a big offer and, uh, you look at what Malcolm Smith got last year, former Seahawks linebacker with the 49ers. He's getting about uh, $5 million or so per year. I think Nigel Radham could be in that range. So uh, it's kind of a tricky situation right now. I think the Eagles are going to have to kind of slow play it. I mean, they can't just rush out and give him a ton of money because they have to be cautious with these other decisions here. But they have to make sure that they make a good effort to bring him back because if not, I mean, they don't have a ton at linebacker. I mean, you have Michael Hendricks still. You have Jordan Hicks, who's very talented, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. And beyond that, it's not much. So it's going to be a tough spot for the Eagles in terms of figuring that out. Brandon, two guys who missed uh, a large part of the season, Jason Peters and Darren Sproles, have indicated they want to come back. Will we see Peters and or Sproles back again next year? I think Peters is pretty much a lock. I mean, Doug Peterson – uh, at his press conference, his final press conference of the season last week, he even said that you, know, you hold a gun to his head, he's, he, he's choosing Jason Peters as his left tackle in 2018. And obviously JP is coming back from an ACL injury, so there's some uncertainty there. And he turns, I think he turned 36 in January, so he's on obviously continuing to near the end of his career. But I think Jason Peters is so well-respected in that building you're not going to see that guy get cut. It's just not going to happen. And and you can't cut him because financially it costs more to cut him than to keep him. So I think Jason Peters is probably back. Darren Sproles is the interesting one because, again, another guy who was so well-respected in that building and around the league as a whole. Uh, but the Eagles kind of – do they really want to pay him? Does it make sense for them? Uh, are they willing to do that? Like their, their running back situation is kind of in flux right now with all these moving parts. So I think Sproles is less certain 
uh, that would kind of be really, that'd really be disappointing just because he's such a, uh, a respected player and such a, a weapon when he is him right and such a, uh, a boost too on punt return. So it'd be great to keep Darren Sproles, but it's just a matter of trying to make it work money-wise. And that's, that's the big challenge that Howie Roseman has this offseason because, as we've said multiple times now, they don't have a lot of money, so they're going to have to figure it out. And if, if they're not able to offer what players want, then players are going to go find it in free agency. Yeah, one of those guys you did mention briefly, Trey Burton. Any chance they can keep Trey Burton? And what about LeGarrette Blunt? Is he a goner? I think there's almost no chance with Trey Burton just because I think, you know, there's going to be teams out there that see his production. They're going to be willing to, to give more than what the Eagles can offer. You're going to see an overpay, or maybe it's not even an overpay because I think Trey Burton's a good player, but I just, it's going to be more than what the Eagles can afford. And then with Garrett Blunt, I mean, he's going to be 32 next season, so you can't really go out and rush to re-sign him. Although, I mean, he was a great addition for the Eagles this year. I think he's a great guy in the locker room. Maybe you can kind of let him test out for you and see and try to bring him back if he can't get the money he wants, and you can kind of bring him back on the cheap. But you just can't rush to pay kind of either of those guys when you have to make these other key decisions with Bradham and with Sproles or whoever else the Eagles really want to keep uh, here in Philadelphia. Well, let me throw another name at you uh, that I thought had a, a fantastic season also in a great locker room guy, Chris Long. Is is he going to be here or gone? Oh, he's coming back. I think even after the Super Bowl, uh, I can't use the exact quote here, but he said, I'm, I'm coming back. Uh, <laughs> and he used some choice words along with that. So, uh, Chris Long's going to be back here, and that's great because he was such a valuable addition this year. Just being able to come off the bench and just give everything he's he's got. He came up with some crucial strip sacks. You think back to the Rams game when the Eagles were able to win the NFC East in that game based on you know his big efforts there. So Chris Long's coming back, and that's great. Well, Brandon, there's a lot of talk about the leadership in in that locker room, and and Blunt was one, and Long, and and Peters, and some others, and and I guess my question to you is: it those veteran guys, or is this really Carson Wentz's team, and is he the leader of the show? I think Carson is obviously the guy, and you know everyone knows this is his team overall. With that said, you still have these respected voices in the locker room because there's, you know, we think of the football team as a team always, and they are, but, you know, they, they're so also broken down into their position groups. So you have Jason Peters, you know, overseeing the offensive line. Then you have Malcolm Jenkins on the defensive side of the ball. So uh, you, you you have these veteran guys in the locker room. But I think, too, as Carson Wentz, you know, he advances through his career He'll be in the third year now. I think he's going to continue to be more of a vocal presence, especially at some point when those guys move on in the future and maybe in the distant future. I mean, he's always going to be the guy that's here for the long term. So it's always going to be his team, I think. you know, And, and with each passing year, he's only going to gain more and more respect from the guys around him. Brandon, final question from me. The Eagles are losing a couple of key coaches in offensive coordinator Frank Reich and quarterbacks coach John Filippo. Is that a big deal or not? And might Deuce Staley get a promotion now? I think it's a big deal. I mean, I, I don't think it's like, oh, no, the Eagles are doomed because you still have the main play caller, Doug Peterson, here. But, you know, Frank Reich really did help with the offensive game plan. 
and John Filippo did as well. And, you know, he obviously did great work with Carson Wentz and Nick Foles, both who played at very high levels this year. So losing those guys has to hurt. I think uh, to say it doesn't, you know, really doesn't give them enough credit and they're shaping this team's success. But, you know, the, the Eagles still have a lot of guys who were on the staff this year. It sounds like they're not going to actually hire a formal offensive coordinator as much as they might just kind of give additional responsibilities to wide receiver coach Mike Grow, maybe kind of make him a passing game coordinator. Then you have Jeff Stoutland, the offensive line coach, and Duke Staley kind of probably more controlling the run game in addition to helping Doug Peterson there. So it'll be interesting. I think one thing to watch will be do the Eagles hire someone, maybe not in the offensive coordinator role formally, but someone like an assistant to the head coach or something like that, maybe like a Daryl Bevel out there, someone who was a more experienced coordinator just to kind of give Doug Peterson that extra voice, that extra uh, just person to have around, kind of like he had it with Frank Reich last season and the year before that. So, Staff is in flux, and we'll see how it shapes up once the Eagles kind of get back to work next week. All right, Brandon. Hey, before we uh, we go, can you let the listeners know where they can find your work? And, and also, uh, you've got a whole T-shirt thing going on. Maybe you could give a little insight about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. You can check all of that out at bleedinggreennation.com. You can also check out you know, BGN's podcast. That's bgnradio.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Gowton and with the t-shirt things and all that, all that info you can find on bleedinggreennation.com and yeah, go from there. That Kelsey uh, t-shirt selling well. <laughs> he, I mean, Jason Kelsey is the man. I mean, that was, that was awesome. <laughs> yes, it was. All right, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Hey, we appreciate you joining us. And uh, as always, great job. Thanks for having me guys. Let's take a little break and welcome back to Philly Press Box Radio, Irish Rover Station House Bar Manager, Chris Gaskell. And Chris, I want to ask you first of all, how much did you enjoy that Super Bowl? Oh my God, it was so amazing. It's been like the greatest month ever. First, we make it to the Super Bowl, then we win the Super Bowl, then we have this amazing parade. We have not stopped talking about it every day. It's like a recap. We've watched the game here at the restaurant at least a dozen times. It's been amazing. It's been such a great month for us. Exciting times for sure. Hey, Chris, I checked the calendar of events, and there's a lot going on over the next couple of weeks at the Irish Rover, and I guess that's because it's a big anniversary for you and your great establishment. Yes, we are so excited, but this is our fifth year in business at our new location, Bellevue Avenue, and we are really pulling out all the stuff. We've got something going on almost every night of the week. We've got some of our favorite breweries coming out and giving away stuff and just partying with us all week. Blue Moon will be here on Wednesday night. You can paint your own glass. Thursday, Guinness Blonde will be here giving stuff away, and that's going to be our really big celebration. 5 p.m., great things to give away. We've got raffles. Come hang out with our staff. We want to say thank you for five years of great times and memories and great experiences. Friday, we've got Stella giving stuff away, and Saturday, we've got Victory Brewing Company, and we love the guys at Victory. They always bring us great stuff to give away. All right, Chris, I hope to see you next week for the Rover's fifth anniversary, either Thursday or Friday. Thank you. Can't wait to see you. And everybody else, go check it out for yourself. The Irish Rovers on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne. Visit their website for info about daily specials and more, irishroverstationhouse.com. And because it is Valentine's Day, I have to ask. (laughs) Well, hey, Chet, I didn't want to lose this in our time tonight because we're very busy, but... uh... 
Chris mentioned it, so I want to throw it out there. I need you to tell us about the parade experience. You were at the NFL draft in town to kick off the season. You finished the season right back in the same spot as world champions. Yep, down by the Art Museum, as you said, scene of last April's NFL draft. For the parade, I actually hung out with our guest from last week's show, Joe Valley, and several of Joe's friends met up in Cherry Hill very early in the morning. It was still dark out. Uh, then we headed over to Philly, watched as the crowd got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm not a professional crowd estimator, but looking at all the aerial pictures, there was certainly well over a million, and I would think closer to two million people. Anyway, I'm sure everyone has seen the parade or at least the highlights of it by now. And, yes, it was pretty awesome and something that I'll never forget. Well, it seems like the 700,000 estimate was certainly low from from what I can see from a distance. But, yet the thing that really impressed me, uh, the good people of Philadelphia – and Eagles fans did not give the national media anything to bash us about. They, uh, it seemed like overall a great event. Yeah, they were you know, reasonably well-behaved. People were you know, climbing some of the light poles and some of the trees, but I don't think anybody got hurt. Um, a lot of Eagles chants. I mean, there was the Eagles chant probably well over 100 times, m- more than that. Uh, <laughs> the, the entire Eagles fight song dozens of times probably even more than that for that as well. And it was just a good time. Uh, everybody had fun. Everybody was in a great mood. And I think a lot of that great mood is still continuing uh, a week later. Hey, how did the dilly dilly work out with the free beer? Did that, did that all happen? And were, were people able to get free beer? You know, I, I know it did happen. There were taverns along uh, the Broad Street parade route, but I didn't check it out. I took my own couple of beers and had those. Uh, it just would have been too much of a hassle to try to get back to the parade route to check it out. You know, I don't need to do that for one or two free beers. I just brought my own and enjoyed it. There you go. Wait, Chet, anyone that knows you knows that sports, music, and movies are about 1, 1A, and 1B on your favorite things list, and maybe not quite in that order. So uh, you've managed to meet up with some of your favorite WMMR guys, and, and this week it was Casey Boy. How did that happen, and how big a Philly sports fan is he? Well, yeah, I've said hello to Casey and the other guys from uh, WMMR on numerous occasions over the years. You know that. Uh, various MMR events that I've gone to. He's part of the Preston and Steve show every morning. And we had his colleague Nick on last November, Nick McElwain. So I thought I'd ask Casey when I saw him in December if he'd join us. And he said, yeah, sure. Uh, I knew that he was a big-time Eagles fan. He talks about it all the time. I can tell you that it was a fun chat, but unfortunately his cell phone didn't give us the best results. Sometimes you get a better line talking to someone on the other side of the world than you do 40 miles away from you or even down the street. It's just weird how that works out. But anyway, here it is, my conversation with Casey Boy. We're still celebrating the Eagles' Super Bowl win, and this guy is quite happy about the outcome. An executive producer of WMMR's terrific Preston and Steve show and a lifelong diehard Eagles fan, Casey Foster. Welcome to Philly Press Box Radio, Casey Boy. Ah, uh, man, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Casey, lots of things happening at MMR this year, which we'll get to in just a bit, but we need to talk some football first. How excited were you about the way this Eagles season ended up? 
I mean, it was unexpected. I think anybody that tells you that they, they knew this team had it in them, you know, let's say back in August, they're, they're total liars. So, you know, I, I, I listen to a lot of sports talk. I, I watch ESPN and NFL Network all the time. When I started buying what they were selling, and I thought that this is another season of, you know, maybe 8-8, eight and eight, maybe 9-7 and seven if we were lucky. But as the season rolled on, it was like, wow, these guys are really special. It's like, wait a second, we got a, we got a shot here, all right? So, like, all these you know, chips started falling in place, and then, boom, like, we were like, okay, we're going to make the playoffs. And then when the Nets went down, I was like, God. Um, and here we are talking Super Bowl champions. <laughs> and it's just been such a whirlwind. And, of course, Casey, all Eagles fans have you to thank for the Super Bowl championship because, well, you had a priest bless your lawn that had the Eagles logo painted on it. And because you are, I think uh, the actual title is something like the Sultan of Superstitions. You take those duties pretty seriously. Well, yes. I mean, I, all I can say is I did my part, okay? I did my part. And, yeah, Preston, the, uh, the superstition supervisors, so we, you know, we took calls and about, uh, you know, what should people wear, what should they eat, where should they watch the game, and all that sort of stuff, because I spent the whole season tinkering. I was like a, a chemist in a lab, you know, figuring out, like, what the, you know, the, the right uh, clothes to wear were. And, and uh, so I wore the same jersey uh, and undershirt the entire season. It was Mike Quick, and then, I, uh, you know, my dad had a trucking company, a green, so I wore that green T-shirt underneath. I wore that all season long. I didn't wash it at all. And then as the season went along, I became more and more superstitious. I mean, the bottom line is nobody in my household is allowed to wear any of the colors of the opposing team on game day. It's been something that's been going on for a few years now. So can the Eagles win a couple of more Super Bowls in the year ahead? I mean, judging by what they did this year, absolutely, absolutely. Casey, I talked with Nick about this three months ago, the fact that you guys at MMR have such a great relationship with all the Philly sports teams, pro and college. You'll often have athletes and coaches in the studio for a visit, from Claude Giroux to Jay Wright to this week, Bo Allen and Jason Kelsey. That was great, by the way. Who are some of your personal favorite sports personalities to have in the studio? Well, I mean, having Jason and Bowen is great, especially after a Super Bowl, but even you know, prior to a Super Bowl victory, we've had those guys in our studio, and, and they're just great, you know. And I think they appreciate talking to us because, you know, we're not an X's and O's type of program. You know, we're more of like a, the lifestyle surrounding the sport, and, you know, so it's, it's a relaxed conversation. So uh, to say that anybody on the Eagles that comes into the studio or on the show, I'm excited. Born and raised in this area, so I'm such an Uber fan. And that's what I am first and foremost. I and mean, we get Claude Drew on or in, you know, at least once a season. And he always likes to box my chops. Uh, I got to face off against Canada in a bowling match a few years ago. <laughs> yep. I really thought I was going to win. But, man, that guy, uh, you know, he's on, on this, under the spotlight all the time. So I was sweating so bad. Because there were, like, you know, a few hundred people watching us. And that guy was just as cool as they come. And unfortunately for me, he won. <laughs> All right, Casey, a major milestone this April for WMMR as the station celebrates its 50th anniversary, which is pretty amazing. You're actually celebrating all year long, though. What are some of the ways you are marking turning a half century old? Well, I mean, first and foremost, we're making sure that we're bringing like, the coolest concerts you know, to the city all year long. we got a lot of great bands that are coming to town. You know, U2's coming to town. Foo Fighters are coming to town. Bon Jovi's doing a really cool concert. You know, we have our MMRBQ, so we're celebrating, obviously, with our bread and butter, and that's music, man. That's, uh, you know, like the, the, the live music experience, and that's going on all year long. And when the spring and summer hit, we're really going to hit the ground running with, with some great, great shows. 
you know, but there's special programming every single weekend celebrating every year of our 50 years. You know, we started, we kicked it all off with 1993, the halfway point. That was when, uh, you know, MMR turned 25 years old. But you talk about what 1993 meant to us musically. You know, some of the biggest bands that we play in Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Soundgarden, those were all new bands back in 1993. Every weekend you can expect some special programming with MMR. And there's some surprises coming down the pike. Without, you know, the music, we don't have MMR, but also some of the great personalities that have hosted shows throughout a, you know, 50-year span. You know, you're going to see them popping on. And I love the MMR barbecue, by the way. I go there every year, and I'll be there this year when Stone Temple Pilots, Alice in Chains, Ghost, and Dorothy are among the headliners. That is a great annual event. Here's a little something for you. Yeah. Two more bands are going to be announced. So, you know, you're close to MMR. So we got two more pretty big bands that are going to be announced soon. Awesome. All right, Casey, let's finish up with a game of Fast Five. Five questions, oh, five brief answers from you. You can handle this. You ready? Fast Five, oh. Casey, boy. <laughs> All right, number All right, one. Let's do it. Yep, number one, Casey. The Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Which of the three other major pro teams in Philly will be next to win a world championship? I think probably the Sixers are poised to go next. You could be right. I'm hoping. Number two, you're a lifelong Birds fan. Who is your all-time favorite Eagles player? Oh my God, that's so tough. I gotta go with the uh, Minister of Defense, Reggie White. Can't go wrong there. Number three, I believe you said recently that Stand By Me is perhaps your favorite movie of all time. What is your favorite sports movie? My favorite sports movie of all time is How to Be the Sandlot. Really? Yes. I, I did not. Yeah, it's such a great. I don't know what it is, but it's a lot of fun. All right. Number four, Nick and I had the same answer to this one: The Stones in 2013. What is your favorite concert of the past five years? Every concert in the past five years, I don't know which year it was, but Coldplay inside the Wells Fargo Center was a July concert in the middle of the summer at the Wells Fargo Center. It was an amazing show, and I was just surprised. I mean, Coldplay is one of my, you know, five top ten bands. And, you know, so I, I love them as a band, but I just didn't know what an amazing live performance they put on. So that, uh, without a doubt, is, is the best show I've been to in the last five years. All right. And finally, Casey, since it's Valentine's Day, name a sappy ballad or love song that we'd never hear on MMR that you secretly enjoy. Uh, well, i got to give you uh, two, all right? Uh, the first one is Endless Love, uh, <laughs> Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. I was just talking about it uh, on, on the show this week. I have a chill mix on my iPod. I have a little playlist, and Endless Love is, is part of that, so I hear it quite often. And then also, it's kind of just made it right into my, back into my, my playlist, but Islands in the Stream with Dolly Parton, <laughs> Parton and uh, Kenny Rogers. Islands in the Stream, that is what we are. Wow. Hey, I've got a bunch of songs by the Carpenters and Barry Manilow on my iTunes list, so I, I can't talk. <laughs> no, I think we all have some stuff yeah. that we wouldn't necessarily admit in front of our friends, but I'm not ashamed, man. I, you don't have to like it. I do. Hey, one final bonus question. I love the Internet. Why is there a picture from six or seven years ago of you and a big-time Hollywood celebrity, a prom picture? What is that all about? All right, so when we had Bradley Cooper, I think we had him in the studio. I don't know if it was the first time or the second time, but, I, you know, I was thinking, all right, when we have him in the studio, I know we're going to take pictures with him. So I decided to dress in a suit. I'm, I'm a sweatpants every single day kind of guy. Sweatpants or in the summer, I wear, like, lacrosse shorts or whatever. So on that particular day, I, I brought the suit to the cleaner, and I decided to dress up for, you know, the best-looking man in Hollywood. And I was like, all right, let's see if we'll go for it. And he did it. And then we had our amazing people in our graphics department work up a background to make it look like we were actually at our senior prom. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> 
Casey Boy, awesome. Casey Boy from MMR, awesome job. Continue to enjoy the Eagles being Super Bowl champions, and thanks much for taking the time to visit Philly Press Box Radio. All year long, baby. All year long. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Well, Chad, I had to tell you two things. Uh, one, what I really enjoyed out of that was you can hear the fandom. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. he doesn't just work in Philly. He's a fan just like the rest of us. So I, I really like that. And the other thing, I, I have to go uh, full confession here. Uh, Endless Love was our wedding song in 1982. Whoa. Get out. Here you wow. go. Hey, things you learned. Yeah, but Casey is a big-time fan. As he said, he's very superstitious also, so he does wear the same shirt every week when they're winning, and uh, he has strict rules about what his family members can and can't do and what they can and can't wear. And, and Bill, speaking of WMMR, they had Bo Allen and the man of the hour, Jason Kelsey, in the studio and on the air for a full hour Monday morning, and it was great radio, very entertaining. And there was a nice mention of our buddy Carl Henderson and Carl's Cards. What a weekend for Carl, by the way. Anyway, this cut is about a minute 15 long, but... It's kind of touching as well as a bit funny. So check this out. This is from the Preston and Steve show with Bo Allen and Jason Kelsey on Monday morning on WMMR. Uh, Lydia, you're on. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, what's I want to say thank you to Bo and Jason. We met you, my husband, son, and I, Friday night, and my husband is still smiling ear to ear. And why that's such a big deal is um, my very active, healthy husband had a stroke in June. So he is now in a wheelchair, and he's trying to relearn how to walk and everything else. So going to the parade, now all that was not possible. He's a huge Eagles fan. So I finally actually got to see you at Carl's Cards, and you guys flanked him and took a picture. And we had my 17-year-old son taking a picture of his father smiling ear to ear. You have no idea what that meant to us. He is so happy. Even now, he's got bragging rights. It's all over. <laughs> so cool. So thank you so much. It made such a difference in our family. Absolutely. So, it was love great you, to meet guys. you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys book that gig before or after the Super Bowl? Well, I was joking with Kels. We actually booked it before the parade, and then his speech was a big, just a promo to try to build that up. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, if you could go totally ape I mean, freak the F out. You need to kill me. Carl, you flail your arms and do everything. Good for Carl. There you go. Kelsey did all that for Carl. That was what it was all about. <laughs> oh, that's great. Great stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I was going to say, great weekend for the Eagles, uh, being uh, Kelsey and Bo Allen, and then he had Corey Clement the uh, the next day. And yeah. there were a bunch of other guys all over town, and, and I, I heard there was one bad deal that went down. But other than that, the players were out there. They were great, and the fans really got to see them, and the fans were out, no doubt about that. Great stuff. Oh, yeah. By the way, uh, this weekend, it looks like it's pretty quiet. Guys are, are rested a little bit, but uh, speaking of Carl's cards, he's got Ron Jaworski was a pre-schedule. He's going to be there on Saturday. That's a nice guest. And Stefan Wisniewski will be in the house on Sunday. So a chance to pick up another eagle, one of the big old linemen uh, on Sunday at Carl's cards. That is excellent. All right. Hey, Chet, now, I gave you fair warning on this, uh, that I was going to ask you this, and we never do that. I think we've said that many times on the show. We don't really share what we're going to talk about, but I wanted to give you a little time to prepare, okay? So 
What I want from you is, is starting at number five and working to number one is the five most memorable, memorable plays of Super Bowl 52. You give number five, then I'll give number five, and so on. And uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this. I want to see uh, how we align. Well, it was really tough because I was thinking about it. I, I mean, I've gone over this game many, many times over the last 10 days, and there were like a dozen or 13 re- very memorable plays. But here we go, my top five. Number five, Malcolm Jenkins leveling Brandon Cooks. Well, interesting. Uh, and, I, and I'm going to, since I make the rules here most of the time, I actually have six. So I'm going to go with two right quick. But one is the other important defensive play when the score was 9-3 to three early in the second quarter. Speaking of Brandon Cooks, trying to hurdle Rodney McLeod and stopping him short of a first down, uh, the Patriots end up trying to kick a field goal, and they missed that field goal. Big point, even though it was early in the second quarter. I actually had that. I did a top ten. I had that number eight, so that was on my list. You had it number six. Okay, what was your number five? My number five was the strip sack. Uh, okay. Although great to watch, you know, watch the Eagles sack Tom Brady, recovered a fumble, and the game was – but the game was far from over. We certainly needed the additional field goal to get that eight-point lead, but uh, we didn't get the first down, and there was still a lot of clock left, and Brady had a chance uh, for the end zone. So it, it's down there at number five, although it might be a lot of people's number one or two. Well, coincidentally, I have it at number four, the strip sack by Brandon Graham and the recovery by Derek Barnett. Huge play, and with apologies to Chuck Benarek in 1960, it was perhaps the most important defensive play in franchise history. I don't think I can argue with that. Hey, my number four, probably going to surprise you a little bit, Chet, uh, Philly Special. Uh, all the way down oh, that low. Four. Yeah, well, you know, there's not much more you can say about it except it was executed to perfection, giving the Eagles some time, uh, some halftime cushion that they desperately needed. Um, great play call, obviously, but it's uh, I got some that I like better. Wow. Uh, it's higher on my list, as you'll hear in a minute or two. Um, let's see, number three for me. Zach Ertz scoring the game-winning touchdown. As you will recall, the Eagles were trailing by a point with two and a half minutes to play when number 86 gathered in his seventh reception of the game. He ran a slant. He caught the ball with a five-and-a-half-yard line, then took three steps, dove into the end zone. Uh, He temporarily lost possession, yes, but that was after he had broken the plane. And despite Chris Collinsworth's unwillingness to give his seal of approval, an official review correctly determined that the touchdown would stand, and the Eagles did, in fact, retake the lead. So number three, Zach Ertz, game-winning touchdown. Well, my number three is the Corey Clement 55-yard reception that included that vicious stiff arm of Patriot safety, Deron Harmon, that set up the Philly special. Uh, That was a thing of beauty. 2-12 to go in the half. The Eagles were not going to sit on the football. They took a simple play. Corey Clement turned it into a huge play. Without the 55-yarder, you don't have the Philly special, and that's why I put the the Clement play ahead of the Philly special. That did not make my top five, but it was definitely memorable. Like I said, uh, there were so many memorable plays, and that was a great run and a great stiff arm. In fact, I think he did two stiff arms on that run. Uh, Just a great one there, and that's why – Corey Clement is so appreciated. Runs like that, plus the touchdown that he also had. So there you go. Um, where are we at? Number two for me now? Yep. Number two, 
Um, the Patriots' failed Hail Mary attempt, Tom Brady's desperation heave as time expired, ensured the Eagles' first-ever Super Bowl title. None of us felt totally safe about that reality until we saw the ball hit the ground and the ref signal that the game was over. So that's my number two. Well, it's a good one. Uh, you, you actually came up with four good defensive plays in the game. I only had three, so uh, I didn't include that <laughs> one on my list. Uh, my number two is the Zach Ertz touchdown that you already mentioned. That was the game winner. And, you know, the Eagles made a perfect play call to get that single coverage. And, and that article I posted today on, on our website, com of how that play was designed is a thing of beauty. Uh, the touchdown capped off a 14-play, 75-yard, seven-minute, one-second drive in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, Jet. And they answered with 221 to go uh, – which is a great coach's strategy and great execution by the players. Yep. And number one for me, as you can probably figure out, the Philly special. Nick Foles catches a one-yard touchdown reception from Trey Burton just before halftime. The play gave the Eagles that 10-point lead. It almost certainly caused every Eagles fan watching from home to jump up off the couch and yell like a little kid at Disney World, you know, where Nick Foles ended up one day later. Well, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm a little surprised at your list because you don't have the only real number one play that there was. And that is the fourth and one completion from Nick Foles to Zach Ertz from the Eagles' 45-yard line with five minutes and 39 seconds left in the fourth quarter, trailing for the first time in the game. Patriots had scored three times in a row with 75-yard drives. If they don't make that first down, it's game over right there. Yeah. And they got two. They needed one. They got two. Biggest play of the game or the whole rest of the game doesn't matter. The Patriots go in, score points, and we are not celebrating on Broad Street. Okay. In my defense, when you gave me the heads up on this, I asked you, did you want the five top key plays or the five most memorable? And if you asked for the key plays, that would have been in my top five. It certainly was memorable, and it certainly was very important, but I thought these other ones were even more memorable. But it is somewhere in 6 to 10 through me, and, yeah, it, it, very, very important because we might have lost that game had they not converted right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, memorable to me, too, and, and important. And, and so many other plays. Aguilar made a fantastic to get a first down. Brady dropping that wide-open pass. Uh, yeah. On and on and on. I mean, there there were just so many. But the little gear up, we haven't even talked about touchdowns by – the other one by Clement and Jeffrey and yep. Blunt and the offensive line work. I mean, so many things you can point out in this game. Yeah, that Jeffrey uh, touchdown, the 34-yard reception, was a great play by him. Torrey Smith making the helmet catch, that was pretty awesome. Um, just, man, just so many memorable plays. I'm going to watch that game again and uh, jump up and down all over. <laughs> there you go. All right, hey, good stuff. That was a lot of fun. And uh, I'm sure our listeners will have a list they can put together in their own share with us because they probably have differing opinions than we do. But, hey, hey, Chad, let's move on. Let's talk real quick about uh, that ugly head that you always talk about has raised itself again for the Flyers with Brian Elliott injured out four to six weeks. They're playing real good hockey until last night. Goaltended let them down, and they lost. Yeah, tough loss Tuesday night, as you said, a blown two-goal lead, and then a loss in a shootout, but they did get a point at least. The bigger loss, of course, came earlier when the word came down about the Brian Elliott injury. That puts a lot of pressure on Michael Neuvert, and assuming he remains the backup for the next month, rookie Alex Lyon, who they've called up again, as the Flyers try to hang on to a playoff berth. So 
it's going to be a test, and, uh, you know, we'll see what these guys are made of now. Yeah, well, I mean, how do you feel? I mean, you, you, they're starting to get a little better scoring. Giroux's having a fantastic year. Voracek's having big points here. Uh, you think there's a chance we, they got they could sneak in the playoffs? I mean, they were making a good run here. Oh, yeah, they're still in playoff position right now. Uh, you, you didn't mention Couturier, who's been amazing this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like their chances. I do think they will get one of the lower seeds. I don't think they're going to climb up, you know, as high as number four or whatever. Um, but I do think they will be one of the wild card teams, which is not the best spot you want to be. But, hey, at least it'll mean some extra playoff hockey in Philadelphia. Well, getting in the playoffs, uh, anything can happen. We know what happens to underdogs. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> All right. Hey, you're looking pretty good with your Sixers prediction, by the way. Right now, they're 29-25, seventh place in the Eastern Conference. One and a half games behind Indiana for the sixth spot, but they played three less games than the Pacers, which the Pacers won all three. So the Sixers would have to win all three of them to end up tied. Joel Embiid's playing back-to-back, at least for now. He's playing well. Um, Playoffs are happening, aren't they? Absolutely, barring, of course, a major injury to that guy that you just mentioned. Uh, they are playing well. They're four games over 500, as you said. I predicted a season of 43 and 39, so they would just have to play 500 the rest of the way. They're going to do better than that. Uh, they're getting more consistent, playing pretty good defense, still more turnovers than we'd like to see, but they should get better over the rest of the season, especially when you consider that the schedule is pretty favorable from here on out. Yeah, did you get to watch uh, little T.J. McConnell make some history the other night? They, the the <laughs> most fun about that, besides his triple-double, was the excitement of his teammates and, and the fans, oh, obviously. But uh, those guys were fired up for him. That was cool. When he got that last rebound with a minute to go and it you know, gave him the triple-double, did you see that bench? They went nuts, and then they doused him with water when he was being interviewed after the game, and apparently they did so again in the locker room. How do you not love TJ? I mean, he's just a great guy. I mean, I stood next to him when I got the picture with him. He's my height. He's like six foot. And uh, mm-hmm. he's pretty amazing. I love TJ McConnell. Yeah, I think he needs to get minutes. Uh, I don't know how they're going to do it as they make the run down the, you know, down the stretch here, but he's going to have to get some minutes. And, uh, you know, it's funny talking about that last rebound. It's kind of like the ball found him. He, he didn't even it jump. Did. It just kind of came down to him, and uh, yep. it was cool. It was meant to be. And we're not even, not even going to get into the whole Markel Fultz thing again this week because I don't know what's going on there. So save that for next week or the week after. Yeah, we're going to have to get to that because, you know, at some point, if they are going to get to the playoffs, that you know, you would think the number one pick in the draft is somebody that they, they need to have and they need to be able to, uh, to get something out of. I don't think we're going to see him, to be honest. But, again, we'll talk about that later. They just signed that other guy from, uh, who was it, the Pistons, who was averaging 11 points a game, uh, 31-year-old veteran. And uh, I think that's the writing on the wall telling us that we're not going to see Fultz. Yeah, and you know what, Chet? I, I slipped my mind and because my mind is not as good as it usually used to be. What is with the Sixers? Um, oh, daggum, I shouldn't have. It's slipping my mind. The guy who did all the playing when they got rid of Okafor, and now he can't get off the bench. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rashawn. Yes, Rashawn Holmes. Rashawn Holmes. I, I know. Yeah. I love Rashawn Holmes. I would like to see him more than I want to see Amir Johnson. I don't know what the hesitation is on Brett Brown's part to play Rashawn Holmes. I think he can 
you know, give you more offensively than Johnson. Maybe Johnson's a little better defensively, but I think, you know, Holmes holds his own in terms of that and rebounding. So there must be something more there than meets the eye. I don't know, but I don't get it. And next time we have, you know, Keith Pompey or D Lynham or one of those folks on, which we will in the next month or two, we'll try to get some answers. Yeah, it really surprises me. I mean, he was getting good good minutes there for a while when Embiid was hurt. And Okafor, they wouldn't use Okafor. Now they they move Okafor. Now the guy can't get on the court. So, uh, yeah, be interesting to see, uh, you know, what that's all yep. about. Well, hey, Chet, you continue with the guests, and uh, you're racking them up, man. Who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week? Well, as you know, spring training is getting underway. Pitchers and catchers Woo. just reported, so – it is time to shift at least some of our attention to Phillies baseball. And, boy, do we have an awesome guest lined up. I'll be honest, I kind of surprised myself with this one. He is a former Phil's pitcher and current broadcaster and just a treat to listen to, providing his unique blend of color commentary to the broadcast, making his first visit to Philly Press Box Radio, and he will be live talking to both of us, the great L.A. Larry Anderson. Wow. You you keep outdoing yourself, my friend. That's that's classic there. Love L.A. You bet. Well, hey, and as you said, pitchers and catchers reported to Clearwater and around Florida and Arizona today. And uh, you excited about that game, Kapler and the young 2018 Phillies? I get excited every year when I see those first videos of Phil's players working out and taking batting practice every February even in years when I know they won't be contenders. Now, this year, who the heck knows? You know, they have the new manager. We don't know what to expect from him. They have a decent lineup, what should be a decent bullpen. But as is so often the case, the big question mark will be starting pitching. What do they have beyond Aaron Nola? It's a mystery at this point. Well, speaking of Aaron Nola, I saw a quote from him today, late today, uh, talking about new manager Gabe Kapler, and his comment was, that man fires us up. So that's good. Interesting. Interesting. You know, we, we've been seeing other than Larry Bowe, we've been seeing in Dallas green, maybe we've been seeing guys, uh, the kind of just, you wonder if they're even paying attention to the game for a long time, but, uh, not this guy. He's going to be in a different cut. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Uh, it's always different with a new manager or a coach. You know, you don't know what to expect. We found that out with Charlie Manuel. Everybody was critical of him right away. He seemed like, you know, the country bumpkin. And, of course, a few years later, we had the World Series parade. So uh, you don't know what to expect from Gabe Kapler, but it's going to be interesting, and he's going to be a fun guy to hear his uh, post-game news conferences, I would think. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of rumbling out there that they're still making a move for a starting pitcher. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see as well. And just the fact that, uh, you know, there, there's some fresh air here with the whole new staff and uh, – see how things are done. I, I have a feeling that with Gabe Kepler, that uh, jogging down to first base that a couple of them guys like to do, that's not going to be tolerated. Yeah, yeah, we'll see uh, how Oduble responds to the new manager. Why are you picking on Oduble? <laughs> just, just a name I threw out there. <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting. I'm kind of excited to see J.P. Crawford's going to get a full full crack uh at that shortstop position with Freddie Galvis gone, uh, you know, see how he can do over five, 600 at bats and uh, a lot of young players. And uh, hopefully we have, uh, have a good season. Can't wait. Yeah. By the way, Chet, uh, it was 86 degrees in the sunshine state today. Are you coming wow. down this year? You've come down the last couple of years for a long weekend. Are you making it this, uh, this yeah, year? Yeah, we'll, we'll be, 
will be down in mid-March to go to Disney World, and I'm actually going to rent a car and drive over to Clearwater on Friday the 16th for the Phillies game that day. So that's how dedicated I am to making this uh, trip to Clearwater every year now. You better check your calendar because Friday the 16th, the Phillies are in Lakeland. It's a split squad. Ah, well, come to Lakeland. They have one game in Lakeland and one game at Clearwater. You're only 30 minutes from Disney when you're at Lakeland, and I will be at that game, by the way. There you go. All right, Mr. Chesco. Well, hey, we're about to wrap this thing up. You have a parting shot tonight? Yeah, this is a big weekend at my old stomping grounds way back when. University Park, Pennsylvania, this Friday through Sunday at Penn State, is Fawn Weekend, the culmination of a year-long effort to raise money and awareness through various events that give hope and support to families coping with childhood cancer. This weekend's amazing event takes place at Penn State's Bryce Jordan Center. And if you aren't familiar with Fawn, it is a 46-hour, no-sitting, no-sleeping dance marathon involving more than 700 students. I'll tell you, I stood on my feet for the Eagles parade for nine straight hours last Thursday, and I was wiped out and sore. So kudos to all these great young kids who will be dancing for this terrific cause for that length of time times five. Thon is the largest student-run philanthropy in the world by both involvement and revenue. There are some 16,500 volunteers helping out every year. And in terms of money raised, check this out. Over the past six years, Thon has raised an average of $11,500. I'm sorry, $11,534,000, million per year. And since its inception on a much smaller scale way back in 1973, Thon has raised $147,000,000. To find out more about this great cause and amazing event, visit Thon, that's T-H-O-N, dot org. Or if you have the time, watch a great documentary on YouTube called Why We Dance, The Story of Thon. You'll be glad you did. Yeah, it's truly a fantastic event they do up there. You know, you think football Saturdays are events in uh, State College and Happy Valley. Nothing is like the Thon event. It is, uh, it is really special. And as you said, they've raised millions and millions and millions of dollars. Great thing. Absolutely. You have a parting shot or not, Bill? I do not have a parting shot, sir. Well, in that case, you know what, Bill? Because it's Valentine's Day, let's do our way. Come on, here we go. That is what we are. No one in between. Oh, boy. So with that, Mr. Jesco, <laughs> we've reached the top of our hour. So let's thank our special guest, Bleeding Green Nation's Brandon Lee Yelton, and from WMMR, Casey Boy. Irish Rover Station House of Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chachesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, February 21st at 7 p.m. when L.A. Larry Anderson joins us. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet at www.blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and MixCloud. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl 52 champions. And again, happy Valentine's Day. If you turn the world on with a smile, if you say nothing day.